Hello, everyone out there. Welcome to another episode of Conversations. I'm your host, Adam Rush. Normally on this show, I sit down and talk to leaders from various backgrounds, such as medicine, business, entertainment, to learn about their successes and failures, ideas and ambitions, and most valuable lessons they'd like to share with you. However, this episode is going to be different. The tables are reversed, and I'm interviewed by Vinny Valorin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The host of the Unlatched Mind podcast. It's a really wonderful podcast. We had a one-hour conversation that was quite comprehensive, including the science, economics, and path forward during COVID-19. This was really an excellent discussion. I'm very proud of how it turned out as we take a deep dive into COVID-19 with topics that will not be covered by cable news. And Vinny did a remarkable job hosting the show and directing the conversation. And so I encourage you to listen to this episode. I think it is critically important, not just for the entertainment value of it, but this is real knowledge that is going to be important for your day-to-day life. You're going to be able to gain a much deeper understanding of COVID-19, and honestly, you'll be better prepared for what's to come. For those of you who want to go to the original episode, you could find it at unlatchedmind.com. That's U-N-L-A-T-C-H-E-D-M-I-N-D.com. Vinny has his own website. He's also on the various podcast hosting sites such as Apple Podcasts. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Vinny Valorin of Unlatched Mind with everything you need to know about COVID-19. Enjoy. January 1st, 2020, you could uh, wrap it up, put it in a bag, and you're not gonna see that again for a very long, long time. Hey, welcome to Unlatch Mind. Today, uh, we're in mid-April here, 2020. I'm um, going to get an update on COVID. Um, obviously, we're in the, in the midst of a global pandemic, and today I'm lucky enough to have Dr. Adam Rosh, MD, on. Um, Dr. Rosh is a, he's a board-certified emergency medicine physician with, uh, with a background in microbiology and public health. Um, he, he also founded, uh, he's a founder and CEO of the Rosh Review, which is a, it's a nationally recognized medis, uh, medical company. It's an educational company serving physicians, uh, medical students, physicians assistants, and, and nurse practitioners. Um, check it out at uh, roshreview.com. But um, I had a great conversation with Dr. Dr. Rosh. Um, I've seen a lot of his live Facebook feeds where he really gives an OBS update. He, he does a lot of Q and A on on this pandemic. You know, we talked about where this pandemic started, why this one's different, why this virus is different how it spreads, you know, what we could do to protect ourselves and where it's going. And that's where we're, things really got interesting. You know, we talked about, you know, what he thinks, you know, life's going to look like for us in, you know, in this, you know, in the, in the States at least and over the summer, summer of 2020 is going to look quite different. Um, fall is going to look different. He thinks the, into, into next year, things are going to look quite different. Uh, we talked about, you know, how airline travel and cruises and public gatherings in general are not going to be what what they what they were um, for quite a while um, so anyway had a great conversation really enjoyed it um, so with that I give you Dr. Adam Rosh MD well Dr. Adam Rosh I appreciate your time and thanks so much for your for giving me some time this morning with uh, zero yeah. notice so <laughs> <laughs> no problem good to be here Vinny yeah thanks man so um you know, look, we're we're here in mid-April. Obviously, this 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 pandemic has been going on. No, no one's not aware of what's going on. Um, but but I just felt like it'd be good to have you or someone like you on to just kind of. This is not my normal topic, um, obviously, but my listeners will know that. But I don't think we're in normal times. So you know, and, and what I'd love to do is just kind of 
And I think a lot of the stuff I, I've seen you already comment on, so it's going to be redundant for you. But as you know, you can't, you really can't get the real information out enough. Right. So um, um, I'm thinking if we just, you know, start with a little bit of what the hell is this thing, right? Yeah. What do we know about it? And then maybe we dispel some myths that we hear. You know, we 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 get we get stuff coming from the White House and it's the CDC, and it's like, oh man, how do you how do you? And then you get the media that's just you know their whole world is based on uh-huh. kind of a little bit of a everything has to be urgent breaking news. Uh-huh. So there's a little bit of that driver. And then and then I'd love to get your take on where you think this is going. What does June look like? What does September look like? What's Christmas look like? You know, and yeah. then what's the new normal? So. Um, with that, I mean, before we start, could you? Who are you? What do you? Who are you? I guess out there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. that's a good. That's a good thing. Where yeah. Where is the information coming yeah, from here? Yeah. So, uh, I uh, I'm a board certified emergency medicine physician. Uh, I went to medical school at Rutgers uh, Medical School in New Jersey, uh, in New Brunswick. I did my emergency medicine training at New York University uh, Bellevue Hospital, so in the heart of New York City, and from there. Uh, went to Detroit Receiving Hospital, moved out to the uh, to Michigan, and eventually ran the emergency medicine training program there. Mm-hmm. Now, my background is actually also in microbiology and public health. I studied that in undergrad and graduate school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And so I've always had uh, a real deep interest uh, in that. And so right, COVID-19, this pandemic, kind of encompasses all of those aspects yeah. of my interests. And so uh, disaster medicine has also been something I've been interested in. So uh, I was a medical student back during 9-11. And then uh, after that, people may not realize there was the anthrax scare. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we always prepared in training in in, in NYU, Bellevue, uh, which was in New York City. We, we went through training and uh, did disaster medicine drills. And oftentimes, especially after 9-11, for example, there was a water main break, and it was an entire city block blew up. Some people may may remember that It's if they're in the area, but it it ended up killing a few people. But at the time, right, post 9-11, we treated everything as a potential chemical or biological attack. And, you know, that, that seared in my mind uh, as far as p- the potential disaster, managing potential disaster. Now, uh, COVID-19 uh, is is a, a disaster in many, many ways. And, um, you know, lots of people who understand microbiology and disease and contagion will tell you that what's going to bring down humans what's going to bring down uh, if anything mm-hmm. uh, our civilization and it's not it's probably not going to be missiles and bombs right as bill gates said it's going to be microbes mm-hmm. and that's exactly where we find ourselves today and it's really because uh, the way these things are transmitted is they use the host to transmit right and so as humans become infected the virus becomes more efficient at spreading mm. uh, in many ways. So uh, COVID-19, you know, the, the virus that causes it, SARS-CoV-2, uh, you know, first became really on the public radar here in the United States probably in January. There are definitely a, a, enough people who knew about it in January, and I started following it. I heard about it in China and really probably spent a lot of time in February digging into this thing because it was pretty clear. And to be, you know, the, the, the disappointment is the, uh, we could, should dive into this a little, uh, in how you manage pandemics, but the, the response, uh, at the highest levels in our country, mm-hmm. Uh, removing the politics out of it, uh, the, the, our, our country, our federal government is who's responsible for helping us manage some, an event like this. Um, and, and we could, we could dive into more. And what I just realized is you had asked me my background 
and yeah. <laughs> I kept going on. Yeah, so yeah. no, that's no, good. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just pause right there and see where do you want to you know what question do you have? Yeah, and, I mean, uh, sure. I'll dive into that. No, no, I appreciate that. So so and again, the organic conversation is what I'm after. So wherever it goes, yeah. it goes. No 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 guidance. Um, so just to clarify too. The, the SARS I, we keep hearing SARS two. We hear COVID nineteen. Like one is one is the virus. One is the the disease. Just for term, just for definition of yeah. terms. Yeah, absolutely. So there's lots of coronaviruses out there. And um, the in 2003, actually, there was uh, an outbreak of SARS, right? Severe acute respiratory uh, uh, syndrome. Yep, yep. And uh, COVID-19 is caused by the virus SARS-CoV-2. So it's the SARS virus, coronavirus 2, right? The second one of mm -hmm. SARS. Uh, and uh, it causes uh, COVID-19 or uh, the coronavirus uh, disease in 2019. It was first recognized. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, you hear these things flying around and it's like, I think setting a nice groundwork for terms is... Um, it, now... How is this actually spread, right? We hear airborne, but it's not technically airborne because you need particulate. Like, what's what's how 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 is this thing spreading so efficiently? Yeah. So um, initially, the idea was this was spread through droplets. Now, there's different hmm. size droplets, and droplets are generated, for example, with a cough or a sneeze. Right? You, people have seen probably images or videos of how many droplets a human gives off during a cough or a sneeze and and droplets are able to suspend in midair mm. right and so the virus is attached to this droplet and it, and it could kind of stay so for example if i cough there'll be a radius around me of a few feet of droplets and those droplets remain suspended all right and that's that's you know a, a concerning type of transmissibility droplets is concerning and there's more and more evidence and it's pretty i'm pretty confident that this goes beyond just droplet spread right this is aerosolized as well mm. aerosolized means that if i'm speaking uh the virus could actually leave my uh, respiratory system right because your respiratory system merges with Right, your mouth is part of your respiratory and mm -hmm. your GI system, uh, and so those those particles could uh, could you could get exposure through there. And this is why the idea of non N95 masks, uh, that idea that that's going to limit or reduce or be kind of a solution, isn't necessarily accurate, mm, right? Yeah. Because without an N95 mask, without a well fitting mask. Uh, anything that's aerosolized will easily come out of the sides of those masks right, right. and N95 masks they're they're specialized they're they're not just cotton or material that's put together they're actually a matrix material that allows us to breathe air while it filters out or prevents uh, the passage of these virus particles hmm. and it also comes with a some come with a little respirator on it as well. And so those are really the important uh, barriers for breathing that we need to be wearing. And obviously, healthcare professionals, they have to have priority on this right now. Right, right. Uh, as they're caring for patients, because as we know, the number one place for spread of COVID-19 and I'm going to use COVID-19 as a as a stand-in for you know sure, the, the sure. yep. SARS-CoV-2 yep. virus. Uh, COVID-19 is going to spread mostly in or predominantly in healthcare facilities. That's mm -hmm. always the number one place in any type of epidemic or pandemic, and that's why it's so critical that healthcare providers first get the get priority on the masks, and then you know, and in the public, the public is going to have to. Learn to wear masks and this is going to be part of the new normal and there's so much we could talk yeah. about in this new normal You know, I think it's important to understand what COVID-19 uh, COVID is and, and, and how we got here uh, And then the next part of this conversation in general needs to be I'm talking the conversation of COVID-19 needs to be about well, well, what does this next step look like? Uh, because People don't realize that this is not a sprint. 
Uh, we are in a marathon here. And if you want to use a comparison of a baseball game, we're probably just in the first inning of this thing. And I know it feels like so much has been done and, you know, we're a couple months into this, uh, but these viruses and, and I'll go into wh why, but they don't disappear. Yeah. Right. So there's only three, uh, pathways that, that we go, I, more or less three pathways. Uh, number one, a vaccine is made, right? And uh, it's effective. It has to be very effective. Uh, so if it only works for 40% of the time, then then that's not going to be that great. Uh, but the thing with a vaccine is even if a vaccine was discovered and created and today it was launched, we are talking months and months and months before anyone would ever get that vaccine. People don't realize the production ability is what's going to be a rate limiting factor here. Right, Even though you right. have the vaccine, uh, you need to produce it. And these vaccines are produced from chicken eggs, right? So that means you need uh, 100 million, 200 million chicken eggs, and you have to wait for those, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you have yeah. to incubate the virus and you have to grow it. Uh, so this is a long, long process. And the scalability of it is going to be extremely time consuming. And you need the facilities, right? We've never ever had to produce a vaccine at this scale ever hmm. uh, in such a short amount of time. And so uh, while everyone has high hopes for a vaccine being the cure, it certainly is where we need to go. Uh, but we're months to even, you know, over a year away from any real tangible impact of, of the vaccine. And I would imagine there's plenty of human trials that have to happen to prove its safety, right? even even to start that timer that you were just speaking of like okay Absolutely, right so yeah. that, so you, you got to add even more time before you can start trying to mass produce right i would imagine well, in the normal situation, absolutely, these things need to go under uh, pretty, you know, intense scrutiny. Mm. I think, though, what will happen, like we'll see in certain drugs, you, you'll see like hydroxychloroquine was fast tracked and approved by the FDA. Uh, the trials will be limited. Um, they won't probably have the same number of people. Mm. They won't go under the same duration. If you see some, and they'll continue, but they'll probably release uh, the virus and keep, uh, the vaccine and keep tracking it. But mm. uh, yes, trials trials are happening right now. I mean, there, there's actually, from what I'm reading, right? I don't have firsthand. This is secondhand account. But but there are trials, human trials going on with vaccines uh, right now. So, you know, the and so that's on one hand, uh, that's one possible track, right? The other possible track is uh, we reach a herd immunity, uh, right. meaning, right, we, we this virus isn't going away. This virus is endemic in the human population. And what I mean by that is, for example, in 2003, uh, the SARS epidemic, uh, by the SARS virus, it was able to uh, infect uh, people. It was mostly it was mostly limited to China, and it ended up killing I think about 700 people. Uh, but it had a bad. It wasn't good at spreading from human to human, and so it eventually mm -hmm. died out. Right? It was isolated and it died out. That is, and, and so we really don't live with that virus right now. That is not the case for COVID-19. COVID-19 is approaching 2 million people, I think, uh, internet, uh, throughout the world. Yeah, one point. Well, according to, uh, to COVID-19, yeah. whatever, bing.com yeah. slash COVID, 1.6 million as of this morning. But yeah, unfortunately, so, you'll be probably spot on in a day or two. <laughs> that's right. Unfortunately. Yeah. But, so it, yeah. it will be there soon. Yeah. And, and so clearly, uh, this virus has adapted to humans. And that's what viruses do, right? They, mm. they could go from animals to humans and then... Uh, there's a host. So the virus will continue to spread as long as there is a host. And right now, humans being the host. Now, there are viruses like, let's say, Ebola. All right. It is unlikely that we will ever experience an Ebola pandemic. And the reason is because Ebola is a much better, for lack of better uh, phrase yeah, here, yeah. it's a much better killer of humans. And so it actually burns its fuel. Right. It, it, it runs out of fuel uh, to keep living and keep spreading uh, because it kills its host much faster than than COVID-19. So yeah. uh, COVID-19 is with us. We need to live with it. And uh, until we reach about, you know, 
herd immunity is, and this is actually a really important point for what the next phase is here. Uh, herd immunity is based on the really the infectivity rate of the virus. So it's the R naught of the virus. And right now we believe it to be about three. So for every person that gets infected, they're believed to infect another three people. And then those three people go mm. on and infect another three people. So if you get, let's say an R naught of three, if you get to a population that is 70% infected, meaning they've recovered, and that means they have antibodies to the virus, mm -hmm. and it means they're immune to the virus, then once you put those people out into the population, then the transmissibility of the virus becomes much, much lower. And what happens is those who have been infected actually serve as like, lightning rods, mm, right? Mm. They will slow down the spread of the virus. And this is why it's so critical that if we need to get this economy open again and get back out and get things running, it's so important that we are able to identify those individuals who have mounted an immune response to COVID-19 and by serological testing and to get them back out. These people should be the ones working right now. These people should be the ones doing delivery, should be the ones in the factories, right? They get priority. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's the way you do this. And, you know, there's people who talk about like immunity core, right? Like an immunity yeah, yeah. core. Yeah. Uh, and you have to be careful there, of course, right? Because there's ways that you know, discrimination could come from that as well, right? Should, should these people get, you know, favored status? And, and, and so there, there's always secondary effects from this. Uh, but that is probably the most likely scenario uh, in my mind that I see happening uh, is this, this kind of this second pathway. Now, the third pathway is that the virus changes, the virus mutates. Uh, these viruses, especially coronaviruses, they change all the time. Same with influenza. It's the reason why we have to get an influenza vaccine every year, every year because, right. yeah, and, and the bad years of influenza are usually due to things like anagenic drift or anagenic shift. And what that means is, um, the DNA is significantly changes. For example, it may, it may infect a pig or a chicken and during that time of infection, the DNA changes drastic, uh, significant enough that it becomes much more virulent or much more, um, it's killing capacity increases or it's, uh, transmissibility increases and it could jump now from animal to human mm -hmm. and wreak havoc on, on humans. And this is what is that exactly what happened in 1918 and, you know, the 1918 influenza pandemic killed uh, anywhere from 50 to you know, 70, 80 million people back in 1918 and 1920, which on today's terms is hundreds of millions uh, of people. Uh, no. Now, I don't think we're there. We're not, you know, this, this COVID-19 is not as lethal as the influenza uh, virus from 1918. So that's really the, the third pathway uh, is that if the virus changes or we see, you know, we may see seasonality in the virus. And what that means is, you know, just like influenza, there's a season. So it may come in the fall and the spring and then you know, or the you know, fall and winter and kind of die off in the spring and summer. Uh, but right now we're not really sees, seeing seasonality with COVID-19. You know, there's cases back in February there were cases in the Southern Hemisphere. So Australia, New Zealand, South America, they all had cases. Mm. And so, right, it was their summer there. And, and as we move into summer here in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, we're all hoping that maybe there's a slowdown uh, due to the seasonality, uh, but it's it's unclear right now. And, and uh, we'll call, if in this case, what would cause that seasonality? I mean, we, 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 we know we get sick in the winter. And we also hear that you shouldn't go outside with your hair wet, all this stuff. Is it, I mean, is it literally, it's literally got to be a temp temperature related. I, I mean, there's no other delta between seasons or what, what happens there? Just, just. Yeah. You know, I, 
I think we want to think it's that simplistic, uh, but I also think that there's other things like behaviors that you do, right? So, for example, I could give you, I could, right? This is, I this is something where uh, I could, by example, I could try and explain yeah, yeah. it. So, in the summer months, you have hand, foot, mouth disease in kids, right? Coxsackie virus, mm -hmm. and that virus spreads really well. Uh, it's uh, fecal oral, so uh, it could spread from mouth, from people's mouth, um, their saliva. And what do kids do in the summer? They jump around in a pool. Right, right. And then they jump on one another and, right, they, they are doing that in the summer. Yeah. They're not doing that in the winter as much. So it's not that Coxsackie doesn't occur in the winter. Of course it does. And it's not like influenza doesn't occur in the summer. Of course it does. It's that the behave, some behaviors that people engage in are much more common. It's same thing with polio virus. Now, obviously, we don't see polio here in the United States, but back in the you know 30s and 40s, uh, right, and 50s, polio was spread in the summer months because it was fecal oral, and that's how kids mm. kind of come together and play. So, uh, versus versus the winter months. So that's kind of, that's one aspect of seasonality and, you know, it can't really explain it in, sometimes you, we just can't explain it in some viruses. Maybe it's temperature related, maybe it's behavior related, um, but it, there's clearly uh, peaks and valleys in the infections sure. uh, that we see in these viruses. Yeah, perhaps in the winter we're all in the house or the windows are yeah. closed. When one person gets sick, sick, they all do in the summer. Our windows are open more and we're out more. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, there's the distance thing that happens implicitly maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Behavior more than just temperature. Yeah, because temperature never makes that's sense, right. right? No one's like, the virus doesn't care if it's <laughs> like 42 or 87. Right. Um, in terms of the big myths, I mean, you touched on a few already, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, the mask thing and the temperature, then the summer's going to kill everything. I mean, because there's some stuff, on, I mean, online is, I, I'm, I, I'm getting known to call this social media like a cesspool because while it's good yeah. for a lot of things, God, man, it could be a cesspool. But um, uh, what are the biggest myths you think that should be just busted? People, we just need to just stop, stop, <laughs> you know, stop, uh, you know, repeating. Yeah, well, here here's the thing. I don't even... Maybe you could, you know, bring, tell me a few of them because I don't even know what some of these myths are. I, I have an idea of what they are and this is why. Uh, and this is, I think, an important point for people. Where do you, right, where I get my information from about this? And it was a really, it was really nice back in February and early March before this really hit media the way it is today, where there was only a handful of people that were talking about this in depth and it was really wonderful conversation, you know, whether it's Twitter mm -hmm. uh, or some news articles, you know, now, right, everyone's reporting on it and every outlet just grabs the littlest piece of information and and amplifies it. And it may not be accurate. Right. So I could tell you where I get my information and where I suggest, yeah. you know, yep. that you work on. It, it's not necessarily an outlet. It's who's giving it, right? So uh, I, I, when I'm doing research uh, about pandemics and getting kind of the latest statistics, um, you know, the CDC traditionally has been a very good resource. It kind of dropped the ball a little uh, on COVID-19. And I, I think they could be doing a, a much better job, uh, but I don't necessarily know if it's their fault right. or not in this case. Uh, the, and then I look for scientists and public health officials and the best people on this are public health officials. So epidemiologists, um, you know, my favorite go-to resource, the guy who has been on top of this since the very beginning back in January is Michael Osterholm. Uh, you could look him up a, a O S T E R H O L M. Michael Osterholm, he runs the Center for, it's like infectious disease out of uh, Minnesota. And he wrote a book in 2016 or 17 that it's unbelievable how it outlines pretty close to exactly what we're experiencing. So he studies, right? he's studied yeah. epidemics and pandemics for decades. And it's people like that, right? It's people, people who have 
who have combated, helped combat the Ebola outbreaks, yep. the people who have fought the influenza outbreaks. These are the people who understand what this is, right? I'm not going to ask an economist about the science right, right, and, right. and the spread of uh, pandemics, but what I would ask an economist about, and which I have done, is tell me about how the economy suffered back in 1918 and 1920. Who were the cities that actually came out with the best economies, and who, which were the right. cities that suffered the most? And there's great articles that have been written on that as well. And for example, uh, right, the cities that always took early and aggressive social distancing, uh, stay-at-home measures, they are the ones who had the lowest mortalities and had the best economies when things, you know, got a semblance of normality mm -hmm. uh, in the end. Uh, and so as far as getting the information, stick with stick with scientists when it's a scientific <laughs> problem. All right. Right. And um, I I can't let you know, I, I don't listen to anything that I could get on my, uh, uh, you know, cable networks, you know, in a sense. Right. Uh, right. Because it's it's second and third hand knowledge. And I think the time I spend on one good article by Michael Osterholm or one interview by Michael Osterholm, those answer, they, they, he provides answers to everything I need to know at that moment uh, with, with a, a very objective um, explanation. Right, right. And their agenda would yeah. be strictly the science, which is what you want. They don't have an agenda, and, you know, and some of these agendas right. are pure, right? Where, you know... Uh -huh. I, and that's why I think we're all chanting for Dr. Fauci to speak and get let Trump Trump get out of the way and let him talk. But but even yeah. then, you're right. He's sitting there next to the commander in chief, and he has. I'm sure he has other forces behind it, on him. In other words, the economy. You know, there's things that are not just science that that they 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 are they're you know they have forces at play that guide every word they say. So so you, so you're right. Yeah, they, they, everyone has an agenda, and you know, and and and, and to the commander in chief's. To be him, he also has to keep the economy alive, you know, so it's like, where's that balance, right? There is other forces out there besides just speaking at the, at the, you know, the microbiology level, but, but you're right. If you mm -hmm. want to know about this disease, go to the scientists. I mean, no one, absolutely no one will push back there. Um, yeah. And, and I just got to add to that because, you know, when, you, when you study, uh, the response, right. And, and, and I keep going back to 1918 and 1920. And the reason why is because it was, it's it's the biggest, most deadliest pandemic that humanity, the modern humanity, mm -hmm. uh, has experienced. Right, the Black Plague was probably a little worse. It was like uh, you know twelve or thirteen hundreds, right. I think. Uh, so when we study nineteen eighteen, nineteen twenty, what we realize, what we find out is that the number, the most important aspect of what a government or the leaders could do uh, to help the citizens, to help the country and the world deal with this, deal with the pandemic, is first of all, you, you got to have robust and strong leadership. And what does that mean? That means being transparent, that being, means being honest. And that means putting a plan together. Mm -hmm. Now, doesn't matter what your political affiliations are here. What's so obvious, what was so clear is that that is not what we're getting from the people we need here. Okay. So when we get daily yep. press conferences, those need to be done initially. There needs to be one leader who understands pandemics and is laying out a plan for everyone. Right. And we are not getting that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, instead, we're getting, you know, political theater. And that ultimately is going to lead to a prolongation of this pandemic. It's going to lead to increased mortality yep. that was unnecessary here. Now, as the only thing I could say that is 
moving in the the right direction. And and I say this very cautiously is that we absolutely cannot maintain a shelter in place for a year. All right. There, there's right what wow, we're doing sure. now needed to be done so that we could flatten this curve. And if you want to talk about what that means, I'm happy to do that. But for now, we we had to flatten the curve at this moment. Okay. And the next phase, though, is we need to get back out and get things going. But they are not mutually exclusive. And when you have a leader who simply states, we need to end the stay-at-home order and get back out and get back to business, right? Yeah. Uh, that's irresponsible and it's misguided because you can't just do that. Right, you right. have to be able to manage both at the same time. And as Michael Osterholm would say, you need to thread the needle mm -hmm. hole here, yeah. right? So I do believe that our leaders in, in, for example, I'm in the state of Michigan and I think they did a really great job with early and aggressive action, but we also now need to start transitioning to getting things open again. And what I talked about earlier with, you know, how do you do that? You do that through serological testing. You do it with widespread diagnostic testing. Mm -hmm. You do it with surveillance, right? There's lots of, and no one's talking about this. This is, right, yeah. we're going to be dealing with this for months and months and months. 2020 is going to look like what you see now. You know, masks, five feet or six feet apart. 2021 is likely going to look like this as well. So how do we adapt to that new normal? How do we get people back out getting coffee at Starbucks, right? Being able to go to, you know, Home Depot and 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 buying garden, you know, going to your local right. garden store, getting a slice of pizza. How do we get people back doing that? And that is a conversation. So I do credit that there is a push for that, but it cannot be done in a silo. It needs to be done with coordinated efforts on uh, implementing the proper systems. And it's really almost all about, you know, it's testing and support. Well, the testing thing was like another top. So we're, because, mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking, I, I'm thinking along the same lines, you know, you, what you just laid out is, hey, yeah, we're, you know, we're not going to hit a flip a switch here and have everyone just go That's back. Right. No, this, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Just if you know the beer, right. I mean, just it doesn't make sense that that would be the case. Um, otherwise, it just doesn't make sense, period. But, but in terms yep. of, I always think, I'm thinking in my head, if I could take a test right now and my, you know, like my mom wants to come see the grandkids, they're out of, she's out of state. Okay. Like say, say, say she was here to keep it simple. If she could take a quick test, get an answer in five minutes, we could take a test, get an answer in five minutes. Then like, all right, let's hug and let you play with the grandkids. Now that might be, you know, that might be, you know, by in the sky thinking, but is, is something like that potential? And was that yeah, a year I, away, six months away or? You know, we tout ourselves as being the greatest country in the world and our most technologically advanced country, you know, and a capable of doing anything. Mm. Well, let's see it, right? Yeah. Like, th this is what we need to be doing. Our We needed, as people would describe, we needed a Manhattan project for COVID-19, and we do mm, not have like that. that. Yeah. We needed the best minds to come together to provide leadership and it's not too late. Those things could still happen. Remember, this is not, this is the first inning of a nine inning game. Mm. We have a long way to go. And what I would love to see our leadership doing is putting that together, right? We're spending a $2 trillion stimulus right now. Well, it, you know, if you look at the cost of the actual Manhattan project, right, it was far less than that, even in today's dollars. Uh, yeah. And so we are capable of doing things, big things, big thinking, and that's what we should be doing. So, yeah, we need both diagnostic testing and we need serological testing. So the diagnostic testing would be, okay, uh, are you infected right now? And the serological testing is, were you infected and now you're immune? And so let's just say in the scenario you gave, you wanted to visit someone such as a parent or a friend and they could they could they know that they've are, are immune then yeah. Yeah, certainly they could come over and spend time with you not only that they could go out into the stores and bring you stuff right, right. And, 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 right, and get into the workplace now there's one little point of caution here just because right where 
if this is going to be on the record, I want to yeah, make yeah, sure yeah. that uh, that we just that we at least provide some other evidence. So as of today, and the, today's uh, right now, we're in April of 2020. Uh, there is some evidence coming out of Korea, South Korea, that people who have tested positive for COVID-19 diagnostic testing, uh, who have then had a negative COVID-19 test and have serological immunity are now showing a re uh, are retesting as positive hmm. for COVID-19 again. And this is very concerning. Uh, yeah. And there's a handful of cases like this uh, out of South Korea and China. Very, very concerning here. And the thought behind it is that possibly this may be due to a reactivation, right? So viruses for example, the best example I have in COVID and COVID-19 isn't exactly this, but for the sake of this example, let's think of it this way. So the herpes virus, herpes simplex virus, it's right. Viruses are just pieces of DNA or RNA. The, the, vi the uh, herpes virus will invade one of our cells and it will take its own DNA. It will cut, it will splice our human DNA a segment of it, and then it will insert its own DNA into our DNA. And the mm. only reason why it does that is because it uses our machinery to reproduce, mm. right? And now it's in our DNA and it will never go away until that person dies, right? Mm. And so that is why you could get a cold sore, you know, and it Three years it goes away, and then three years later you get another cold sore. Mm. Uh, that's because the herpes virus is actually. It's not that you got a reinfection. It's because there was some stressor in your life, whether things like UV light will do it, where it will activate that chunk of DNA, and it will reproduce, and then you see this the the consequences, the cold sore. So COVID nineteen, it's unclear what it's doing. But one possibility is that it is reactivating, that maybe there are pieces of DNA still in our system that didn't get killed. Maybe it's integrating uh, into a genome. We, we don't know enough. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's, that's some concerning uh, news. That is scary. Yeah. That... <laughs> ah, yeah, you're not, you're, not, you're not full of uh, good news here today, sir. No, no, this is, the, but I want the real scoop. This is good. This is good. People need to hear it. Um, yeah, I, I was always concerned with that. I don't know if this is a reality, but you know, we all stay at home. Now the, the, the reactivation part you just talked about, that's, 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 that's another next level kind of concerning, but, but even, even without that reality, do you see a possibility of, of a second wave? In other words, we flatten the curve, everyone's kind of staying mm -hmm. at home. And I, I, and I, I think the main point of that is to keep the healthcare facilities and personnel from being just bum rushed more for lack of a better term. Right. I mean, that's the main, mm -hmm. right now, if everyone stays home and then we, like you said, we can't just flip a switch and everyone go back to their, 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 their normal daily routines because the, at that point there would certainly be another spike, right? If that curve starts flattening this, I would imagine it would just maybe not to the same steepness because, you know, for, for various reasons, but uh, do you, do you think once this curve starts flattening, it should stay flat or is there things we could do to screw this up again? Yeah, yeah. Well, you leave it. Leave it to humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. We'll find a way. <laughs> On one hand, we'll find a way to solve it, but we have we we create the problems that we solve. Right. So the the flattening of the curve, and I think it's important just to get get that understood. Uh, when when you have large number of cases uh, that we're seeing right now uh, in various cities across the world. There's a capacity uh, that our hospitals could manage. Mm -hmm. And so there's flattening the curve and there's raising the line. And I'll explain the, the, the difference between the two. So <clears throat> if our take, – take just a single hospital. Single hospital has 20 ICU beds. And in one day, you have 40 – COVID-19 patients that require those beds. Hmm. So right off the bat, the first 20 get the beds and then the other 20 can't get treatment. Okay. In addition to those 40 patients, 
there's 20 other patients that needed the ICU for totally unrelated right. things. Maybe there was a car accident. Maybe there was complications from appendicitis, whatever it may be. Right. Now, those people can't get a hospital bed. And so while let's, for the sake of this example, everyone would have who got into the ICU been managed appropriately, gotten great treatment and care, and actually recovered. Mm -hmm. But when you, when 30 or 40 people can't get into, when there's 30 or 40 more people than the 20 beds, those people are going to have unnecessary morbidity and mortality, meaning they would have been treated, but now they can't. Right. Not because right, the virus is necessarily going to do anything to them. Or, I mean, it, it will, but it, let's say those people who, who wouldn't die with care, those people now die. Yeah. And so we have excess deaths. And what was it's really important during the early phase of pandemics when everything starts exponentially growing to be able to flatten that curve. And it doesn't mean we're reducing the number of infections. It just means we're spreading right. out the number of infections. Slowing now, that's right. The other part of this is we could raise the line. And what does that mean? That means we could improve the capacity of our hospitals. Mm. And that's what you see happening where hospitals are being converted or warehouse, you know, large facilities, gyms, churches, or, or whatever it may be. Any open space will be converted to hospitals. There's the, the ship that came in in New York right. City. And that's what's called, called referred to as raising the line uh, because now it increases the capacity, right? And that curve, right, gets closer and closer to the top of that, of that curve. Right, right. Okay. Now, with all pandemics or with, with, with most pandemics, and, and there's some variability with these, but there's always a second wave. There's usually always a third mm. wave. And that's exactly what you alluded to, right? So we get past this first wave. And here's what's really interesting. People will start saying, you'll start hearing this. Oh, there's only, you know, these many people got infected or these many deaths occurred or, oh, look, right, I still see people posting stuff saying 50 million people died from influenza and only, you know, 20 million have died from COVID. Yeah. And my response, there, there's so many responses <laughs> to it. But my first response yeah. is, well, when's the last time? your entire state stayed home or wore masks during an influenza right, right. Yeah. outbreak, right? So the reasons why we're able to see lower mortality right now is because we've had significant behavioral changes. Right. And without those, we would already be beyond 50 million people easily mm -hmm. dead in the United States, easily, okay? So the paradox of epidemic of pandemics is that if you manage them right when it's over everyone says look we didn't have to do any of those things it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be <laughs> and that's the paradox yeah. there all right and that's what will happen you will have short-term episodes of that right people are starting to say now well my town's not affected or you know there's not that many people uh, you know, dying in certain areas, right? Obviously there's, there's ex extreme devastation happening in many cities around, around the country. So <clears throat> once people start going outside, the virus hasn't disappeared and people will start getting infected again. Mm -hmm. it, it's only, it's inevitable. All right. And this is why, you know, this is a long-term marathon and this is the first inning and we need to learn how to manage how we're going to live yeah. uh, with these future spikes. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I saw one of the interviews you had done, I think you, you it's a very, very good point. I want to reiterate it here, you know, being healthy, I think you had said it and you said it so succinctly, just generally being as fit as you can possibly be. I think almost these are almost your words, right? It helps you pretty much your, your success rate through anything life throws at you. So why not? Um, so why not take this opportunity to get in the healthiest that you've ever been? Right. I mean, lose that 20 pounds, right? If you're a diabetic, mm -hmm. you know, obviously mm -hmm. you got issues you got to deal with there, but losing weight mm -hmm. helps everything, right? We know it, put down the sugar, mm -hmm. put down the crap. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think people are walking a lot more. I mean, my neighborhood's full of people uh -huh. walking that I've almost never seen before. Um, 
I'm pretty lucky. I've always enjoyed exercise. So I, I you know, if I'm just, I try to even up it a little bit more, but, but I think folks should realize being as healthy as possible, try to quit smoking now, right? Maybe use this as an mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. that certainly will help, right? Cause eventually I almost feel like to your point, eventually I almost feel like most of us will pretty much get this. So let it mm-hmm. just let it just be like you got a cold, but you 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 know your anatomy is so you're quote unquote mm-hmm. so fit and so ready for things. Let your body can handle it much better. I mean, I think that's something we all should be thinking of as well. Yeah, everything there is extremely important and valid. And we talk about people are worried about: Am I at risk? Who you know you know if I have this condition or that condition they're called comorbidities or risk mm-hmm. factors you know I have high blood pressure I have uh, kidney disease heart disease lung disease you know there are specific things that put you at increased risk right we're seeing you know in China for example and here in the United States obesity and smoking for example yeah. and smoking in particular yeah. and a lot of that is probably because of uh, right when you get respiratory failure, your fluids fill with lungs. It's just very hard yeah. to maintain that exhalation phase of breathing uh, for patients who can't do it on mm. themselves. So when they're mechanically ventilated. But I always say, right there, there is nothing protective about not being healthy. Right. So right. Right, right, if I have high blood pressure or if I'm a smoker, that doesn't protect you from any illness, right, right. right? And so, yes, of course, if you're a smoker, of course, if you have high blood pressure, you're at increased risk for not just COVID-19, you're at increased risk of every right. ailment out mm-hmm. there, right? Because your body doesn't have the same reserves yep. as someone who doesn't smoke or someone who is not obese. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was trying to think about there's actually, there is one disease that I think could think of that we're, we're taught in medical school that is protective. So like, for example, tobacco smoking is protective in a certain type of inflammatory bowel syndrome, uh, from, from a cancer. It's kind of this weird, who knows if it's really tobacco smoke, but that's what we're taught, uh, taught. But the, the takeaway here is, and, and I could tell you what I'm going to, I decided At least 10% today, of the people that are going to hear that and say, see, Smoking's good for you, <laughs> Dr. Rush well, said. Well, we, we always struggle yeah, yeah, with yeah. that one, yeah. Um, but those people may not die of colon cancer, but they'll die okay, of lung yeah, cancer. Yeah, yeah. You know? And they're just yeah. silly. But. So, unfortunately. So, you know, I think you're right. And, and people are using this time to, you know, now that it's fall, at least in the United States, I mean, spring in the United States, and uh, it's been decent, the weather, at least in, in some regions, you know, getting outside, walking, riding their bike, right. and that's very important. Uh, but I'm thinking myself, like, what, what should I be doing? I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm not overweight. I'm not thin. Uh, you know, if you look at my body mass index, it's, it's high, not in the obese range, but I'm a big bone structured guy. You know, I'm six foot Mm -hmm. 200 and about 18 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe just so you said it's in Almost inevitable, <laughs> almost. Ine- I mean, that, that contradicts yeah, yeah. itself, but uh, it, it is we're approaching 100 yeah. percent uh, when it says, you know, will I be infected by co- by the virus that causes COVID-19? And and if that's true, then how can we prepare ourselves right. for it? And so I, I made a decision. I'm like, I am going to make sure that I am nowhere near obese. Mm-hmm. I am going to start focusing on my cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that uh, I have reserve, right? Pulmonary reserve, cardiovascular reserve. Uh, Because if I am one of those people who gets infected and has a bad response, uh, then I want, right? Because right now there's no great medication or treatment. And and we we should touch on that. But there's nothing great out there. Uh, and we know that some of the reasons that people, you know, what we say in medicine, go down the tubes, mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, from this cytokine storm. It's your own body's response, uh, which is causing intense inflammation and edema or fluid, uh, within the lungs. And, 
you know, if you could kind of wait it out, right? If you could, if you could not wait it out, but if you could survive it and and stay alive, uh, you you know, that's that's your right, chance right. in those severe cases. And they look at intubated patients. I just got this data uh, from the New York City hospitals. Something like if you're intubated, uh, they're intubated patients, so they have a breathing tube. Twenty five percent died, twenty five percent lived, and the other fifty percent. It was a prolonged intubation, so something like, you know, seven or ten days mm-hmm. worth, and then of those patients, you know, you know, a certain percent lived and a certain percent died. Uh, but any prolonged intubation is going to be multiple, lots of complications yeah. come yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, so if you're someone that, you know, that walks up one flight of stairs and you're and you're and you're excessively <laughs> winded. And unless you have a, you know, an actual medical condition, I think you think, think about it. You should, you should not be winded after one flight of stairs. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a hard ass to people because I, I'm, I'm, I'm very sure and convinced most of our ailments are behavior related. There's plenty of medical reasons why certain folks have things, not, not including yeah. them, but we have some bad behaviors and we all make excuses. And I think this, we should make it, we should, we should, we should use this as an opportunity to, to, to be ready to get the virus, frankly. Just say just the new norm. Yeah. I think that's what we the takeaway for me is, is we're going to probably get it. So don't try to – at some point we want to try to, I think, step into a new mentality, a new way of thinking of like, oh, I got to avoid getting this. Like, I can't touch that. can't touch that. How about having a, ha- being ready to get it and having it not really be that threatening to your, to your, you know, to your life? I think that's a, a, eventually a better way to – look at this whole thing. So where do you, Absolutely. where do you think, and we can kind of close with this, but what do you, what do you think, what do you think June looks like? What do you think September, you know, yeah. Christmas time where we're sitting yeah. around Christmas dinner or whatever you celebrate dinner yeah. in December and what's, what does it look like? Yeah. So I can't predict as far as, you know, specificity of this month or that mm-hmm. month, I could tell you that based on certain types of behaviors, what those outcomes will look like. So if uh, we and my guess is in, let's see, the end of April, beginning of May, people are going to start. These shelter in places are going to stop. And, you know, they they we could do a better job with these shelter in places. You know, there are some places that have such low infection rates that it doesn't make sense really to keep people inside. But we we would need some type of testing or surveillance program to support that, right. To get them back out. Uh, so what does this look like? The, the, I could tell you what it's not going to look like. It's not going to look like January 1st, 2020, Mm. January 1st, 2020, you could, uh, wrap it up, put it in a bag and you're not going to see that again for a very long, long time. Uh, our new normal. And I actually think it's, it's really important. What can we be doing right now mentally is adjusting to this new normal. It's, you know, we, we go through denial, uh, and now eventually you got to get to acceptance. And once you get to acceptance, you got to start thinking about, all right, how do I make my adjustments and how do I make the best of the situation? Right. There's lots of opportunities that, that come out of this. I mean, right here, you, you and I, right, we're, we're on this, podcast we're recording Mm -hmm. right now and it's a wonderful thing that we could do in the middle of a pandemic and lots of people could go out and start talking to other people and recording it and so there's a lot that could happen uh, a lot of opportunity so first we have to you have to accept that this is not going away tomorrow there's no all clear signal that we could go outside and you know go back and go to a concert Um, that's done for a very very long time. So, right. Group gatherings, um, are not going to be the same anymore. And this is kind of, as I describe what the future holds, this is what I mean by that. So if I want to get a coffee at Starbucks, hopefully in May, I will be able to do that. Um, the, the future that I envision is there will be someone at the door when you walk in to every place of Mm -hmm. commerce uh, they will do a quick temperature scan with a device that you they could stand, you know, they're wearing a mask and, you know, they could be three feet away. They could do a quick temperature. If you have a fever, 
you will not be allowed in the store. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 harsh, but uh, that's that's what not the really, future but, is. Yeah. I, I think yeah. uh, you're not going to be allowed in the yep. store. Uh, if you are allowed, if you so, if you meet that first criteria, you're going to come in. There is going to be um, almost like uh, stations of where you could stand. So people will obviously need to be six feet apart mm-hmm. in line. Uh, the workers behind the counter will have stations that they're working in as opposed to going back right. and forth. People will be uh, contained in certain areas. And hopefully more and more transactions will be electronic so that you don't have to hand money. Right? right. You could use, let's say, your iPhone or device and and just do a, a cashless or cardless transaction. Uh, I see flying to be very different on airplanes. I see uh, the good part of this is I do see middle seats being <laughs> empty. <laughs> there we go. Uh, That's some right? positive here. Uh, nice. <laughs> that's right. So, so I, I believe maybe every other seat, every other row, uh, type of flying. And these are, you know, if, if airlines, if I want to, if I'm going to fly on a plane, I'm not flying on a packed plane no. right now, right? I'm not doing that for a year. I'm not doing that for two no. years. So if anyone wants to, or, or if I knew I was, if I knew I was immune, right. And that's where serologic testing comes in. Uh, then I would. But as long as I don't know, I'm not taking the chances, right? So, so, so flying is going to look different. Um, ball games, football games. Uh, I, I, I think there's going to be a uh, push to get those going, and I think they will. Uh, all the players will be tested. Temperatures will be mm-hmm. taken. There won't be hand slapping. People will be sitting, like let's say, in the dugout or a sideline. They'll be spaced five feet apart, six feet apart. I think the stands will will mimic what we what I talked about mm-hmm. on airplanes. Every three seats will be a person. So that's what that looks like. Um, this is the light. This is what the world is going to look like in the next year. Um, there's there's no way around it because I can't imagine. If I were a 65, I mean, do the scenarios. Mm-hmm. If I'm a 65-year-old, 70-year-old teacher and I want to go to my math class in the in the fall, in the September, mm-hmm. and I don't know whether I'm immune or not, and I don't know whether my students are immune or not, mm. am I going to teach a class of 30 kids who have who are coughing, sneezing, snot, right? right? Because right. The same old cold viruses are still out there. Right. I I can't see that happening. And so who's teaching these classes? Mm. Yeah. Right. How does school get back? Who's going to put themselves at risk? Because if it's your school and that first 70-year-old teacher dies, what are the other 60 and 50-year-old teachers going to do after that? And this is the reality that we're going to be in. And so something needs to get done. A system needs to be put in place. Kids are going to have their temperatures taken going into school. And hopefully we get rapid testing. And this is, it's the, that's what we need. The world will look different. Just like after 9-11 uh, where, you know, the security lines yep, changed, yep. the back. Exchange the you know whatever applications changed after 2008 for mortgage yep. <laughs> loans. You know, this is just on a grant on a, on a universal yeah. level. All of this is going to be changing. And the sooner businesses could make this change, right? if you're a business owner out there, or you're uh, an ed- educator, or a scientist, or whatever it is you're doing in your place of work, the sooner you could adapt, the faster and more effective and better mm-hmm. situation you're going to be in because uh, this is not going away. And um, uh, But that doesn't mean things have to come to a halt. Mm. It means just have to use our ingenuity, use our creativity, and be smart about our, our decisions. Mm. 
Yeah, I imagine it's going to be rocky because I, I could just imagine the lobbying against some of these things, right? That the, the amount of revenue lost by the airlines and by by you know the, the the Major League Baseball, you know, all these things, all the all these bottom lines that were at X prior to this are going mm-hmm. to be at you know whatever mm-hmm. X divided by two or some ridiculous, you know, mm-hmm. and is going to be lobbying against it. And you know, so I yeah, I hope we all do the right thing as as humans because what's interesting is the whole thing is you take a step back, you know, and and I, I just want to leave people with this. Do, use this opportunity to, to do something real good. Start that company. Oh, business is bad. Again, those right. are excuses. Everything's online. F- figure it out. Just figure it out. Wake right. up earlier. Exercise. Do Talk to your friends more. Talk to your family more. Call your dad. Call your mom. Just st- buy mm-hmm. that video camera. I mean, buy that little webcam and Skype, Skype with yeah. your mom. Zoom with your dad. Whatever. Teach them how to yeah. do it. It's going to be frustrating. They're, they're not going to know how to do it, but you can work them through. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, do the stuff that we're all so busy to t- do prior. Um, I say be busier, but just refocus a little bit. Um, I hear a lot of people, I'm bored and all these jokes going on Facebook. Who's bored? Who's doing nothing? What are you talking right. about? What, why? It, 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 it's not, you know, the 18th, 19th century, whatever, when you're just sitting there in a house with nothing. Right. You have the internet. You could do, you could literally just consume, share, start a podcast. It is, it's, read a book, write a book. I mean, what? I, it blows my mind. Boredom is this thing that I just, I have more work now than I've ever had. And I think most of the people that I yeah. surround myself with uh, are in the same boat. So uh, it's just silly, the boredom thing. But yeah, do, and one, one, I'll leave it with this. You know, none of this, none of the crap I think that divides us as humans. Like if you notice, like none of this matters, right? It went from China to this country to Italy to here. Right. We're all in this. We're all the great equalizer, right? So all these silly little things that we divide ourselves with across the borders and stuff. It's like, oh man, can we get over it? Can we get over it? We're, we can all die together, just like that. And let's use this as an example to prove that. Yeah, absolutely. As uh, as Martin Luther King said, he uh, he said something along the lines of, you know, we we all came on different ships, but we're all in the yeah, same boat yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a genius for a reason. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Rosh, I appreciate your time. I really do. I think this was super, um, super informative. I learned a ton. I, I know the listeners will as well. So I'm going to fast track getting this out just because of the timing. Usually it takes a week or two before I can, you know, edit and release something, but I'm going to try to get it out in the next few days. So, Man, thank you so much. This was awesome. Yeah, good talking to you, Vinny. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. And we're done. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Be safe out there. See ya. guys, this is Adam. Thanks again for listening. If you liked this episode, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast and leave a review. Every positive review helps. Also, remember to subscribe to the podcast so you automatically get episodes downloaded to your podcast library. Please send any questions or feedback to the email conversations at roshreview.com. If there's someone you have in mind who you'd like for me to have a conversation with, please let me know. Don't forget to check out the Rosh blog at roshreview.com backslash blog for more excellent content. And if you are a student, a PA, nurse practitioner, or doctor who is in a training program or residency or has an upcoming exam, take a look at roshreview.com and sign up for a free trial. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you at the next episode. So long.